0: In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Judges chapter 9. Judges 9 tells the story of Abimelech, the son of Judge Gideon, who murders his 69 brothers to become king. Jotham, the youngest brother, delivers a powerful speech denouncing Abimelech's actions, and the story culminates in his downfall and punishment, demonstrating the consequences of ambition, greed, and treachery. Good morning and blessed Easter to you. Today is Monday, April 13th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. The program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Explore their many offerings of foreign language materials rooted in the Lutheran tradition on their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, to help us walk our way through this chapter, Judges 9, please join me in welcoming my guest. He's going to help us divide and discern the Reverend Jim Price, pastor of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Wamego, Kansas. Am I saying that right, Wamego? Well, Wamigo well, well,
1: is how I see it, but I hear it uh, said Wamigo. Well, so you say tomato, I say tomato.
0: Oh, sounds good. Wamigo, well, then we'll go with that. Well, Pastor Price, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. This is the first time you've been on the program with me, but uh, certainly not the first time you've been on the program. Uh, but just since it might have been a while, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about yourself and out there in Wamigo?
1: Well, I've been here for uh, almost six years. It'll be uh, six years coming up this July. Before that, I was a pastor at St. Mark Lutheran in uh, Waco, Texas, uh, for about 20 years, and uh, been married to my wife Cheryl for uh, almost 29 years. Be 29 in in July. Got eight kids. Four of them are grown and and for the most part gone, and got four still at home. Have our first grandchild on the way, a, a granddaughter to be born, God willing, and in uh, August coming up. So lots of of things going on in our lives and uh, lots of blessings to give God thanks for.
0: That is great. That is absolutely good news. And so I assume that Holy Week was busy for you like it was for the rest of us, probably pretty worn out now that it's Easter.
1: Yeah, but uh, on the road to recuperation, I think.
0: <laughs> That's good. Well, I tell you what, we have a lot to dig into today, but it might be good to start off our time together in prayer, so I'm going to invite you to uh, lead us in that, if you would.
1: I'd be happy to. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would bless this time that we have in your holy word, that we may know even better our salvation in Christ, whose resurrection we rejoice in, and in whose name we ask your blessing now. Amen.
0: Amen. Okay, well, folks, we're going to get into Chapter 9 right away, but I think it might be good for us to get just a little bit of a recap uh, because we haven't talked, we haven't been in Judges since Monday Thursday when we covered Gideon. And then, of course, on Friday, we, we went through a special uh, First Friday episode where we talked about the... Uh, words from Jesus on the cross. Now we're back into Judges. It's been a little while. Brother, maybe catch us up on who Gideon is, because that'll help inform us a little bit about who Abimelech is.
1: Okay, well, uh, Gideon has uh, been that judge whom God raised up to fight against the Midianites, and God used him uh, in that powerful way that you guys had looked at those days uh, before Easter and uh, But at the end of Gideon's life, and I suspect you spent a little bit of time on this, you get a little bit of a change-up, kind of an unexpected plot twist in the pattern that we typically get in, uh, in the story of the judges. So usually at the end of the judges, we, we get the land has rest, uh, and the judge dies, the people fall back into idolatry, and so on. But at the end of Gideon's life, you get kind of a foreboding epilogue, and it really sets the stage for some of the things, really for all the things that are going to begin to take place here in chapter 9 that we're getting ready to look at. And Gideon himself, uh, sadly, is going to do two things that that really uh, uh, set this a uh, very, very sad stage. So first and worst, uh, Gideon makes some sort of idolatrous ephod. And we're told that this becomes a snare to Gideon and his family. And then all of Israel prostitute themselves with it. That's back in 827. Uh, secondly, while Gideon says that he's not going to be Israel's king because they have asked him to be the king, and he very piously and properly says, the Lord's going to rule over you, he actually begins to act like a king. And so he has a, a large harem. He has many sons as a result, 70 sons, were told. He also takes a concubine from the city of Shechem, and she bears him a son, and he names the son Abimelech, which means my father is king. So that's a kind of a telling as to where is Gideon's heart in all of this. Then we're told, this is all still at the end of eight, that as soon as Gideon dies, uh, the people hoard after the Baals, and we're told they made baal Berith. Their God. Now, I don't know if you spent uh, time looking at this or not, but that's uh, somewhat significant in that remember that the word bereath means covenant. So this is Baal of the covenant. And Israel is supposed to be in a covenant with Yahweh. Uh, but that divine covenant has been, been completely broken now as they enter into a covenant with uh, with the Canaanite God Baal instead of with Yahweh. So this is really the Israelites that uh, effectively. Uh, turning into Canaanites in terms of their worship. So that that kind of sets the stage for what's coming up. Be- before we actually dive into 9, um, it is also at least interesting that throughout chapter 9, the name Gideon is never used even once, although he is called by name several times. But it's It's this other nickname that he was given. So remember back at the beginning of the Gideon story, this is, I think, back in chapter 6, when he tears down the altar to Baal. This is Gideon. Now, he tore down Baal's altar that was his father's shrine. And the people come out. They want to kill Gideon. And his father stands up for him, it seems. And his father says, look, if Baal is God, then let Baal contend for himself. So he doesn't need you to stick up for him. And Gideon picks up this nickname, Jerobaal, let Baal contend. And that name is going to be used several times, going to be used nine times, in fact, throughout this chapter that we're getting ready to look at. And it it might appear to us, you know, with that name echoing throughout the chapter, that Baal has indeed contended with Gideon and with his family and with the nation. Uh, And even maybe that Baal has prevailed. But, of course, we know it's not going to be Baal or Gideon or Abimelech or Israel and their fallenness and sin that are going to have the last word. But uh, it's going to be Yahweh uh, and, by grace, his people with him. So I think that sets it up nicely for uh, getting into chapter, chapter 9. I don't know how you um, had thought to work through these verses, but, but, you know, to me it might seem like we would want to take it in chunks rather than the whole chapter at once.
0: Yeah, I always like to take it in chunks. We, uh, we're going we're gonna to do that. Is there any particular chunk you want to take first? I would
1: start with one to six. Uh, that's the rise of Abimelech. I would go seven to 21. That's Jotham's fable. Uh, I would break down the next section, uh, t- 22 to 25. That's the beginning of the downfall. We're going to get a little rebellion. That's 26 to 49, 50 to 55, the end of Abimelech, 56 to 57, a nice conclusion about God at work. So that would be my suggestion.
0: Well, sounds good to me. We'll follow your suggestion. I'm going to go ahead and read. uh, Oh, well, I already forgot. You want to go through one through six, right? Well, let's do that.
1: One to six. That'd be great. All right,
0: here we go. So this is going to be Judges chapter nine from the English Standard Version. Now, Abimelech, uh, Abimelech, the son of Jerubabal, went to Shechem, to his mother's relatives, and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you? that all seventy of the sons of Jerubbaal rule over you, or that one rule over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him seventy pieces of silver out of the house of baal with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah, and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal, seventy men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Bethmilo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. All right. Well, here we go. Take us through this. And one of the things I'm interesting to hear is about some of the, I guess, the discrepancies here with the numbers, 70 sons of Jerub, Jerubbaal, which is Gideon. Um, one gets away. Does that, does that mean Abimelech 2? How does that fit in with chapter 8? Anyway, I, I'm eager to hear that, but I'm also eager to hear what else we can learn from this passage.
1: Well, just in passing, I would say that uh, Old Testament, uh, the use of numbers is probably not as, uh, as specific as we like to be when we think of numbers. They're, they're more comfortable speaking in a generality. So I would say that, uh, that uh, we know it, uh, Jotham, the one that gets away, himself says, you know, he killed 70 brothers, but we know that he, he got away. So, you know, 69, I guess, but, but rounds up to 70. But at any rate, what, what we do see here that's most important is we see how quickly things move. Abimelech has concocted this scheme to rule over the area. He begins with his connections on his mom's side. He makes this a, a two-part argument. He says, look, what's better? You ought to be ruled by all these 70 sons of Jeroboam, or uh, you ought to be ruled by one. What's going to be better for you? And then, secondly, wouldn't it be great if the one guy ruling over you is your own uh, bone and flesh. By the way, do you recognize that that phrase? That comes all the way back from Genesis. Remember when God introduces Eve to Adam, and he says, this now is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. So that kind of intimacy and connection. And this has been called uh, before the gospel of Abimelech. This is Abimelech's good news, uh, that look, one of your brothers could be uh, ruling over you. Now, in the real gospel— that's actually what we have. We have our Savior. We have the King who is one of us. It's a part of what we're getting ready to rejoice in as we celebrate the ascension that we're coming up on, that uh, Christ, our brother, uh, is uh, ruling on the throne. One of the treasures of our church is our is our hymnal, Lutheran service book. And we've got this great ascension hymn that a lot of your, uh, your listeners are going to be familiar with, uh, Up Through Endless Ranks of Angels. And there's one of the stanzas of it has has this verse. It says, death-destroying, life-restoring, proven equal to our need, now for us before our Father as our brother intercedes. That's what Jesus is. That's the gospel, that we have a king who is uh, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, uh, like us in every way apart from sin, and he rules the whole universe, and, uh, and he's our brother. Well, what Abimelech does... Uh, On the one hand, he's he's playing the card of his relation to his father. After all, he's Abimelech, my father's king. Uh, On the other hand, he turns Shechem against the house of his father, his his 70 brothers, as he plays up this relation to the people of Shechem through his mother. Uh, In other words, through my mom, I'm, I'm your true brother. And sure enough, he convinces his relatives, and they in turn convince the people of Shechem. But he's got one problem. Actually, he's got 70 problems and that's his 70 brothers back home in Ophrah. So the people of Shechem dip into the temple treasury of baal They fund their treachery then with an act of idolatry, and they really sell uh, these brothers of Abimelech pretty cheaply, just a, silver, just a piece of silver for each one. And Abimelech uses the money to hire this band of worthless and reckless uh, men, we're told. And we can add the words vicious and heartless. And in verse five, we really get a chilling sense of how cold hearted this act of fratricide yeah. is that takes place with the detail that we're given that Abimelech leads the, this band of men down there and then he has his brothers killed. And did, did you notice this detail? It says, on one stone. Now yeah, take a moment to think about that. It's it's not just that they swoop down in on the brothers and slaughter them in a quick surprise attack. That'd be bad enough. But instead, what it appears that they do is they, they round them all up and then they they kill them one by one on this stone in kind of an act of terror. It made me think of the uh, the French Revolution, you know, people being led up to the guillotine, you know, one by one. And you can just imagine the, the scene of helplessness and fear and frustration of watching your brothers being, you know, killed before your very eyes, knowing that your turn is coming. Uh, but uh, we find out one brother, uh, the youngest brother, Jotham, gets away. This is a sort of classic Old Testament narrative. Just great, great storytelling, right? This is a little clue that dangles here. Mm-hmm. telling us that this guy, Jotham, he's right. still got a place to uh, 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 to show up again in the story. He's got a part to play. And so for now, Abimelech uh, seems to succeed. His brothers are out of the way. He's He's been made the king of Shechem. Now, we haven't noted this yet, and I don't know if you uh, have, have talked about this in, uh, in uh, the study recently in Judges or elsewhere that you've been, But Shechem has a very significant and sacred past for the Israelites. So back in Genesis 12, Shechem is the very first place that Abram stops when he enters into the promised land, in the land of Canaan. And what happens is Yahweh appears to him there, and he gives him the promise, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so what Abram does in response is he builds an altar there, And so right right there at Shechem, that was the very first place of worship in the land of promise. And then later on, Jacob is going to settle there in Shechem as well for a time. So this is the the grandson of of Abraham, and he's going to build an altar there and worship there as well. Then when the the nation of Israel comes into the land of Canaan under Joshua's leadership, early on as they enter into the land— Joshua builds an altar near Shechem on Mount Ebal. So, Shechem is in a valley between these two uh, sort of rocky uh, ridge mountains, uh, Mount Ebal to the north and Mount Gerizim to the south. And so, they build an altar there. And then, according to Moses' instructions, what they do is they read the law of God with its blessings and its curses. So, the curses uh, are uh, sort of aimed toward Mount Ebal to the north. uh, um, out goes into the south of blessings, and so what you get there is this scene where where the word of God echoes over this valley where Shechem uh, is built, and then at the very end of Joshua's life—that's so early on as they come into the Promised Land. Now, after uh, Joshua is getting close to the the day that he will die. He gathers all of Israel at Shechem again to renew God's covenant with them one more time. And that's where he gives that very famous, choose this day whom you will serve speech. As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. So Shechem is a place that is rich with holy history and faithful worship. But now it becomes uh, through uh, this this Baal, this Baal bereath, Baal of the covenant, a place of apostasy and infidelity, not just a uh, infidelity to God, but also uh, to the family of Gideon.
0: When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gezerim, and he cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, "Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go and hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubabal and his house and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day, and have killed his sons seventy men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubbaal and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech, and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth-Milo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth-Milo, and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beeroth and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. So Abimelech kills 70 minus 1, or maybe 69 minus 1, right? Because we're elsewhere told that uh, he, Gideon had 70 sons. But as you said earlier, maybe we're just rounding here. Uh, and, and so we get the, this this minus 1 gives us this opportunity for this... A uh, very prophetic, uh, as you said, a, a parable. What did you call it? A fable? Yeah. Tell us about it. What, the the trees becoming leaders are obviously something a little bit more deeper. Why don't you take us through it?
1: Yeah. So for, first of all, it it's like a fable. Um, it's a little bit different. Uh, or excuse me, it's like a parable. We call it a fable because it it it. Uh, you have uh, things from nature, you know, you think about Aesop's fables, you have animals talking, and, that, and so as soon as you have animals and trees talking, now it's a, now it's a fable, but it's like a parable in that it's telling us a, 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 a more important, a deeper story, but uh, sure enough, you know, here's Jotham, the, the guy that got away, he comes back in, and he hears now that Abimelech is being made king by the people of Shechem, and, and he essentially crashes the party. It reminds you of one of those fairy tales where you know, they have a party and they forget to invite one of the fairies, and that's the one that shows up and, you know, brings the curse. So that's what Jotham does. He's not invited, but he sure shows up. And, uh, and he stands in contrast to his, to his brother Abimelech in a couple of important ways. First of all, his name. So his name means the Lord is perfect, Yahweh is perfect um uh, and so his identity through his name is anchored in the God of Israel and you think about how that contrasts with Abimelech's name which is focused on uh, human uh, power and and rule and then a second contrast is that from an earthly perspective Jotham is is weak compared to his brother Abimelech Abimelech has all the power so you really get a contrast in two world views you have the view of those like Abimelech who see no further than human power, and they, they grasp it for themselves, and those who would, in the face of, of that kind of tyranny, nevertheless, rest in in the promise that Yahweh is perfect, trusting God's love and faithfulness that alone can save, even in the midst of of the kind of thing that that Jotham has just gone through. So, it's, this is the weakness of God or the foolishness of the gospel, we might say, that Paul talks about in First Corinthians chapter 1 that ends up being stronger than men and wiser than men, and that's why we can take comfort with St. Paul and our weaknesses and our trials. We can hang on to God's promises, uh, given, uh, for instance, in Second Corinthians 12, when God says to Paul and to us, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in a So we're going to see that Abimelech has earthly strength on his side, but Jotham uh, has the prophetic word of God that comes in the form of this this story that he tells. Obviously, he can't just march into Shechem, so he positions himself outside the city on Mount Gerizim. Now, remember the, the role that Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal have in Shechem's history, these rocky ridges on either side of the valley where Shechem is built, and how in the time of Joshua that had created the acoustics for for the blessings and curses echoing over over that valley. Well, now through Shek, uh, through Jotham, uh, Shechem which has broken the covenant and has entered into covenant with Baal, they're going to hear God's word. Not a blessing, but it's going to be this uh, is going to be judgment echoing uh, right over them. Fable begins. You know, trees. They're they're looking for a king. That sounds like Israel always looking for a king. They start with uh, the olive tree, fig tree, grapevine, in that order. These are not only some of the main crops in Israel, but in Scripture, these especially were frequently signs of of Yahweh, their true king's abundant blessing for them. They They don't just have the basics. They have the olive tree, the fig tree, and the grapevine to enrich their lives. But each of these, the, the olive, fig, and grape, they all say no, and they really say it for the same reason. Essentially, I, I'm content to, to fulfill my God-given purpose, and that is to serve and bless others. I, I don't, I don't want to be the king. So then the trees go to the bramble, and it's nothing but a shrub with thorns. It has nothing useful to offer, and yet its tone immediately, when the other uh, plants come to it, is very cocky and proud. It's sure all... Let you take refuge in my shade, even though I don't have any shade to offer. You know, you think of something like a tumbleweed, you know, no shade there. But if you cross me, fire will come out from me and consume uh, even the cedars of Lebanon. So these are like the biggest trees that could be, you know, imagine, be like a, a tumbleweed saying, I'm going to consume a redwood or something like that. And uh, so just sort of this ridiculous picture. Well, as the leaders of Shechem are going to learn it's going to be fire, not shade, that Abimelech brings to them. So the point is real obvious. The people of Shechem have chosen a bramble for a king by choosing Abimelech. Uh, they have turned against the family of, of Gideon, of Jerubbaal uh, who not only rescued them from Midian, but remember, this was the, the judge that God himself had, had used to bless them. So now they completely turned against him. And so Jotham says, okay, may you and Abimelech have joy in each other if you've acted faithfully. Of course, they haven't. But may you devour each other with fire if you've been faithless. So this is a law fable, right? You get what you deserve, and we're right to suspect that Abimelech and Shechem very soon will. The question that's left hanging in the context of judges is, okay, what's going to happen to Israel? What will God give them in light of all their faithlessness to him, and what about our faithlessness to God? And what about the self-serving and destructive masters that we've subjected ourselves to? Now, how's God going to rescue us from that? What's he going to do about it? The answer that Judges gives is, is found in the broader context, of course, of God's continuous rescue of his of His disobedient and foolish people, but even as he must discipline them. So this uh, this sets it, sets it all up for what comes next
0: folks don't go anywhere when we come back pastor price will keep on going through judges chapter 9 we'll see you Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend James Price, pastor of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Wamego, Kansas. Folks, thank you for tuning in this morning as we make our way through judges. I encourage you to email me directly at pastorboo at gmail.com with your feedback, or you can find me on Facebook as always to ask questions or just say hello. And while I've got your attention, I do want to ask you for a favor. It's the same favor I always ask you. And that is, if you enjoy listening to Thy Strong Word, would you be so kind as to share your love of the show with your friends and family? Remember, as always, Thy Strong Word can be heard on the radio live in St. Louis or live as it's streamed on KFUO. You can even find it on demand there. Most episodes are put up within a few hours of their airing. You can also, if you're on the go like me, you can use the KFUO app. That's what I use. I listen to Concord Matters with Pastor Brady Finnern and a Sharper Iron with a Pastor Apple. And every now and then I might hear one of my own programs do. I tell you what, you can tune in just like I do by by listening to the app, either on your phone or through your auto uh, play, that kind of stuff. Or, you know what, any of your favorite podcasting uh, platforms will have the show too. There, it's just We are blessed with so many different ways to tune in. So I am encouraged that no matter how you listen, that you are listening and growing in faith with me and my guests each weekday. So thank you for listening. Well, Pastor, before the break, you had given the recommendation that we uh, get a few more chunks here, uh, just maybe 22 through 25. I think that's a good idea. Uh, Of course, now for the next uh, half of the program, we're going to get through, wow, all the way through 57. That is quite a chunk. So uh, let's hear about Gaal and the son of Ebed. Oh, nope, nope, that's next. Let's hear about Abimelech ruling over Israel for three years. Here we go with verse 22. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years, and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubal might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hand to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along that way, and it was told to Abimelech. Of course, then we go to Gaal in a minute. Um. So interesting here, the focus, I think, well, the, well, the thing that stands out to me is that it is God himself sending an evil spirit. I think that's going to need some unpacking for people to understand. Why don't you take us through it?
1: Well, the the first thing that we want to notice is that this is spoken uh, by way of contrast, because with all the other judges, including remember Gideon, Abimelech's father himself, we are told that that they are that they they receive the Holy Spirit. So Gideon, uh, back in chapter six, verse thirty-four, we're told is clothed with with the Spirit. This is the Spirit of God. But now we're told, no, this is an evil spirit that is sent to frustrate the scheme of Abimelech and Shechem. So whether whether you think of this in terms of a, a demonic spirit which is possible or or a spirit of disunity that God sends between them, the point is is that things are not well between Abimelech and the people of Shechem and and more to the point that God himself is not absent that God is at work behind the scenes so that's that's the main thing that we want to take out of that and along with this this contrast between a uh, Bimelech who acts like he is a king. Uh, you know, he usurps the role of a judge, uh, but he's not a true judge. He's really an anti-judge. And and that is is really what is being emphasized here. One of the other ways that we see this is with the judges, they don't grasp power for themselves. They're going about their business and God shows up like he did with Gideon and says, Hey I got work for you to do, and he, and he puts them to work uh, rescuing his people. Uh, that's not what happens with Abimelech. He's going to do things his way, and he just wants he just wants the power. So that w- I, that's that's one of the main things that I would take away from that section. Along with that, seeing that very quickly, uh, things fall apart between uh, this alliance between Shechem and Abimelech. Very quickly, they are no longer in uh, uh, in in friendly relationships with one another. And the people of Shechem rebel, and that gets us ready for Ga'al's rebellion, probably our longest section, maybe, uh, verses 26 to 49.
0: Let's take on then verses 26 to 49. Here we go. And Ga'al, the son of Ebed, moved in Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their god, and ate and drank, and reviled Abimelech. And Gaal the son of Ebed said, Who is Abimelech, and who are we of Shechem, that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbaal? And is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? What, um, pardon me, would that this people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech, And I would say to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. Well, when Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush into the field. Then, in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush, and when Gaal saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, you, are, you mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. And Gaal spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land, and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, Where is your mouth now, you who said, Who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despise? Go out now and fight them. And Gaal went out, at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech and Abimelech chased him and he fled before him and many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate and Abimelech lived at Arumah and Zebul drove out Gaal and his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. Well, we got more coming the next day, but we'll stop right here at 41. Go ahead, brother.
1: Okay. So the, uh, uh, we're introduced here to this new character. He moves into the area with his relatives, and, and he actually does the same thing that Abimelech does. He gets the confidence of Shechem's leaders, and he says, hey, yo, why don't you choose me to throw off Abimelech's fool? And this comes to a head in the midst of a kind of a drunken festival, again, back in the temple of their god. You know, Baal-Berith keeps showing up the same temple they'd used uh, to pay Abimelech and to kill his brother so he can be king. And now this becomes the site of of reviling, or we might say cursing Abimelech. And at the height of all of this, Gaal presents himself as a champion of liberty for them, uh, using essentially the same argument that Abimelech had. uh, So whereas Abimelech had said, my mom is from Shechem, and uh, so... On her side, I'm one of you. Gaal, says, in effect, we don't need someone who's only partly from Shechem. Uh, Shechem for the Shechemites, you know. Put me in charge. Give me the army. I'll get rid of Abimelech and his deputy Zebul. Uh, first time we've heard of him. Uh, he is evidently an official there in Shechem who rules in Abimelech's place. Naturally, Zebul. He's he's the guy on the spot. He, he hears a word of this. I like the sound of it. And so he sends word to Abimelech about what's going on and suggests. A plan of attack. He said, Why don't you show up tomorrow in the morning and, uh, and attack the city? And that's what Abimelech does. Next day, Gaal uh, is out of the city gates. Apparently, Zabul is there with him. And Gahal says, Look, looks like there's some folks coming down from the hills. And initially, Zabul uh, tries to throw him off, says, I think you're seeing things. Gaal insists. And then Zabul says, Well, where's all that big talk from last night now? So what's Gaal all going do? Well, what he does? He actually puts his money where his mouth is, gets the uh, troops together, goes out of the city, goes out into battle, and he and his men are defeated by Abimelech and his uh, his troops. And the result is that that he and his supporters are driven out of Shechem. The, the way that the narrative goes, it sounds like Abimelech uh, takes care of the battle outside the city, maybe uh, drives many of them back in. But, but Zabul is in the city and he gets gets rid of the the rebels and so that that's the end of that little rebellion but Abimelech is not done. it appears that he's he's gone that he's left the city now to itself but the next day everybody thinks the fight's over they're going out about their business uh, back out in their fields outside of Shechem and Abimelech launches a surprise attack again he kills the people that are that are out in their farms and so on he captures the city, butchers the inhabitants, uh, knocks the, the the walls down, raises it to the ground, sows it with salt. In other words, this is this is scorched earth, total victory, uh, essentially leaving Shechem in ruins. But he's still not done. We get another detail, and, and again back to this this Baal Berith. Although here in this portion of the text, the temple is referred to as that of El Berith, uh, El uh, another another Canaanite uh, title for for the god. So evidently connected with the temple uh, is uh, some sort of fortress tower. And the leaders of the city, when things have turned against them, they barricade themselves inside this, this tower. And so, so they're taking refuge in the temple of the God that they are in covenant with. And they're they're asking this God to protect them from the very man that they've hired uh, and, uh, and, and then installed as king. And now they want, want baal Elbereth to protect him. But this god is not a mighty fortress. And sure enough, Jotham's curse proves prophetic as fire comes out from Abimelech and devours them. So Abimelech he leads his men to a nearby wooded area, he cuts uh, a bundle of brush. Actually, we, have we, we haven't read that far
0: yet, have we? No, we haven't so, quite gotten there. through On the following day the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told. And he took his people and divided them into three companies, and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and he saw the people coming out of the city, so he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it, and he razed the city and sowed it with salt. When all the leaders of the Tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the stronghold of the house of Elberith. Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the Tower of Shechem were gathered together, and Abimelech went up to Mount Zalmon, and he and all the people who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood and took it up and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the men who were with him, What you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle, and following Abimelech, put it against the stronghold, and they set the stronghold on fire over them, so that all the people of the Tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. Brother, that's through 49, which uh, again is back to what you were talking about with them going into the strongholds of their gods, and of course, now we see the fire coming out from the bramble. That's,
1: that's right. So the, uh, they're, they're, the the tower provides no protection, and, uh, and and just as the prophecy said, they're burned up. But remember that the prophecy was, it's really a two-sided curse. Remember what Jotham says is, may fire come out from Abimelech and consume Shechem, uh, but may fire come out from Shechem and consume Abimelech. Well, Shechem's gone, and it's through Abimelech, so it... it almost looks as though his Abimelech escaped uh, the, the curse that's aimed at him. But as it turns out, this rebellion of Shechem has set Abimelech on a path of, of vengeance. And we might even say self-destruction that's going to result in his in his downfall. And, and boy, that, that's, the, that's the story really that we see over and over again in Judges. Back in October of last year, uh, one of the one of the great theologians of our age, Taylor Swift, uh, stumbled on pretty good theology. <laughs> uh, she came out with a new album. She has a song on it called "Antihero," and uh, it's probably not on your uh, it's probably not on your playlist. I so want you to listen to to just a part of this. Um, uh, she says, "I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices. I end up in crisis, a tale as old as time." Uh, and then in the refrain that runs with the song. Uh, she confesses, "It's me. Hi, I'm the problem." And we could say this this song of hers, antihero. It, this is Abimelech's song. This is the, this is the song of his life, um, and it's it's the story of judges. He and Israel are their own worst problem, and uh, and so are we, right? We're we're all the antiheroes in our own lives, and we should not be left to our own devices. And Abimelech is going to show us why in the next verses. So let's look at verses 50 to
0: 55. Sounds good. Let's do it. Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebez and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and the women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in. And they went up to the roof of the tower, and Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire and a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor-bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, A woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Well, we're definitely getting some Ja'il vibes here with a woman with... Uh, unreasonable strength and unexpected uh, abilities uh, takes out the main guy. But yeah, go ahead. Take yeah, us to up, it.
1: up till now, we haven't heard anything about this uh, town of Thebes, uh, evidently nearby, some sort of connection to Shechem. Uh, whatever the case, Abimelech like next attacks Thebes, uh, captures it like Shechem. They've got a tower, uh, some sort of fortress. It's their last line of defense. Everybody in town, men and women, get in the tower. They're there for refuge, barricade the doors. We've heard all this before. Uh, and then verse 51 adds this little detail that they're all up on the roof of the tower. They're looking over, and you can kind of imagine the scene. They're, they're surrounded by the, the enemy. You know, what are we going to do? Uh, Bimelech certainly knows what he's going to do. He's going to burn it down. And so leading the charge, uh, he storms the, the tower to set the doors on fire, it says. And at this point, Jotham's curse— uh, that this prophetic word, it falls from above on Abimelech's head in the form of this millstone dropped by a woman from the top of the tower. And it, and it cracks and it, it crushes his skull. So this is a fatal blow, but not immediately. Uh, Abimelech knows, though, though this is it, You know his number's up, and he knows it's a woman who's dropped the stone. So it, it's kind of... You wonder what it must have been like for him. You know, he's, he's rushing up to the tower. Uh, you know, stuff is being thrown down. Obviously, he must have seen it coming and who it came from, uh, because in his last moments, you know, what's he thinking? Man, I don't want my legacy to be that a woman killed me. And so he tells his armor bearer, you know, run him through with his sword. Armor bearer does so that it will never be said that Abimelech was killed by a woman. But uh, <laughs> but, Pastor, do you, do you notice any irony here? You know. Here we are over 3,000 years later, and what we remember about the death of Abimelech is he's, we don't say he's
0: the, is who, the woman, uh, right?
1: Who, who died of a sword wound when he was attacking the tower. You know, he's the guy that got a rock drop on his head by a woman.
0: Well, and I just can't imagine his, his superficiality, too, that, you know, you literally are dying. Who cares at that point? And yet that's his main concern at the end is he doesn't want to have his glory taken away uh, by being killed by a woman. And like I said, I couldn't help but think of Jael, who thrust that wooden spike through the skull of, of the, you know, the Sisera, right? So we see this time and again where God is using unlikely means by which to save his people. And even though this isn't necessarily a judge leading up people against uh, the attacking enemy, it's sort of a, an enemy from within. An anti-judge, you said earlier, which I think is a good description. But yeah, definitely some unexpected twists here in Judges.
1: That's right. So, the uh, I read an interesting article on, on this uh, in biblical archaeology review. A, t- a team of women archaeologists were on a dig in Israel and they were doing a demonstration of, of how women and others would drop millstones and anything else they'd get their hands down, uh, you know, from walls or you know, from towers when they were under attack. Now, obviously, you can't demonstrate that with people's heads, so they were dropping these uh, stones the size of millstones down on watermelons with predictable effect, um, but. What what they were showing is you know th- th- this is what they would use you know, anything at hand to protect themselves. Uh, on a more serious note, one of the commentators I was reading points out: you think about Abimelech. His life begins, uh, his mother, a nameless woman from Shechem. Now he's killed at the end of his life by a nameless woman in Thebes, and so his his whole life framed by these women, uh, the first one who gave him life, uh, the second who takes it. Uh, but behind it all, and, and that's, that's where the end of the chapter takes us, verses 56 and 57.
0: Oh, of course, let's finish it up, 56 through 57. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Zerubbaal. So we have here basically they're reaping what they've sown by the hands of God. Not to be confused with this idea of karma, but in a very similar way, God is well, literally says here, returning the evil back to them.
1: Yeah, the uh, and and especially for uh, for the as it says the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his his own father uh, and the murder of his own his own brothers. But really what we're, we're also being told, as you said, is that this woman of Thebes acts as an agent of God by fulfilling the curse that was spoken by Jotham. So God does not strike Jotham, or Abimelech down rather, with, with you know, some sort of fantastic way, but, but just with something really common uh, dropped on his head by this woman. And, and the point of it is that even though Israel, uh, and certainly Abimelech may act like God is absent, he is not absent, he's present. And these last verses are pulling back the curtain and revealing God at work to discipline, absolutely, but finally, through this woman, to save. Because she brings an end to this uh, this this uh, curse that Abimelech has been to the people. Th- this is an old theme, of course, that runs all throughout Scripture of God working through what the world counts as weak and as lowly. Uh, even as he brings down the mighty. So one of the places where we see this really concentrated is in Mary's song, the Magnificat, um, in, in, back in Luke chapter 1. And if you'll remember in our hymnal, we actually have a kind of a handful of different versions of the Magnificat. One of them, uh, number 933, has uh, has this stanza. It says, uh, The proud he scatters, their rule he shatters, sing the greatness of the Lord. Oppression halted, the meek exalted, oh, sing the greatness of the Lord. So this is, this is Mary's song, and that's exactly what's playing out at the Tower of Phoebez, that Abimelech's head is shattered, his forces is, are scattered, it says they all go home, and while his oppression has been halted, Abimelech's name goes down in infamy, here this lonely woman of Fabez is exalted, and who gets the glory in all of this? Uh, well, God does. Uh, we have a group of women in our congregation. They're up at the church most mornings at five 30. It's an exercise group. And I've, I've tried to talk them into naming their group the women of of Fabez. I even got a great low uh, T-shirt idea. If, if you've ever seen the old world war two poster of Rosie, the Riveter, you know, oh, yeah. so put that on it and then put the, the caption women of Fabez, you know, on it. Some, <laughs> but uh, there there's, you've already, you've touched on this. I want to come back to it. This, this theme of head-crushing that shows up twice in the book of Judges. So we've seen the theme of God at work through what the world despises and considers weak. But but you have this other connection that goes back to the the first gospel promise in the book of Genesis, Genesis 3.15, where we're told that the seed of the woman is going to one day come and crush the head of Satan. Now, Abimelech is not Satan— uh, but he is certainly satanic. Uh, he is an enemy of God's promises. He's an enemy of God's people. He's an enemy of God. Uh, just like Cicero was an enemy back in Judges 4, and, and his head was crushed by J.L. with a tent peg and a hammer. Uh, and in the very next book of the Bible, in 1 Samuel, uh, we're going to see Goliath. Uh, his, his head is going to get crushed um, by uh, uh, the uh, the stone that that uh, David holds. That's the next book. But uh, you got Ruth. You know, he's going to come between that. But we have that uh, that scene where David takes down Goliath. So one of the things that they have in common is that God uses those considered by the world to be weak to deliver His people. That oppression halted and meek exalted theme. So David was mocked by Goliath. Goliath did not see him as a threat. You know, coming at me like a dog with a stick. A Saul, King Saul, and even David's own brothers were not particularly confident that David would have victory. Um, when Sisera lays down to sleep, he doesn't think jail is any threat at all. Uh, Ben-Lex sees too late. Uh, this unnamed woman, he's going to drop a rock on his watermelon. Uh, Satan sees too late when he strikes at Jesus on the cross uh, through all the wickedness and the evil and the animosity of the world that that is uh, heaped up against him there by his enemies, yet that's the very means by which Satan's own head is crushed. So in in some of the early church fathers, this connection was seen early on, Tertullian, Augustine, to name a couple of them. Uh, They make the connection with regard to David uh, bringing down Goliath with a stone, but some recent scholars have made the same kind of connections with the with woman of, Thabez as well as with, with Jael. So in, in the Bible, if there's head-crushing uh, happening, it's, it's the enemies of God whose heads are being broken. And so what's happening here, you might say, at, at the end of, of a Ben-Lek story is it's a look back. It's a look back to God's first gospel promise. He's going to save his people. He's going he's to save them from the devil, from everything that's anti-God and, and anti-Christ. Uh, But ultimately, uh, these events are pointing forward to the final fulfillment when Jesus crushes Satan's head uh, by his death on the cross and, of course, by his victorious resurrection that we are still in the midst of celebrating.
0: Amen to that, brother. Well, that's a good place, I think, to bring us to a close. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend James Price, pastor of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Wamego, Kansas. Pastor, thank you for being on the show.
1: You bet. It was great to be with you.
0: Folks, tomorrow we move into Judges 10. This chapter portrays the Israelites, well, repeated disobedience to God, and it leads to their oppression now by the Philistines and the Ammonites for 18 years. God responds, as he has been doing, by raising up judges. Two judges, actually, Zepheth and Ibzon, and they're going to deliver them, but we're going to explore how that goes over the rest of the week. All of these events continue to highlight the cyclical nature of their relationship with God, it emphasizes the importance for all of us to be in repentance and turn back to him. As our guest said, we can reflect on, of course, the glory that Christ has given all of us through his death and resurrection, which we celebrate this Easter week. Folks, don't, don't miss it. Join us tomorrow at the same time. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all. As we pray, Father, keep us and die strong.